Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 26-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, which is kind of an expanded version of The Unhurried Homeschooler. So if you enjoyed that book, you will love The Four-Hour School Day. And Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, which is a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschool moms. You can find all three of those books on Amazon. You can also find them at my website, DorindaWilson.com. And the four-hour school day can be found all, all both of those places and at any of your favorite booksellers. I hope you'll go check those out if you haven't already. Most of you know that I write for a magazine that I absolutely love. It is my favorite homeschooling magazine, and that is Homeschooling Today. Listen in to find out just a little bit more about it, and I will leave a link to Homeschooling Today in the show notes. When it comes to homeschooling, isn't it discouraging to see so much on social media that simply doesn't match your reality? Life is messy. Kids can be exhausting. School doesn't always go as planned. Sometimes we all need some real encouragement, some real, truly practical help. That's one of the reasons I write for Homeschooling Today magazine. The entire team at Homeschooling Today wants you to know that messy, exhausting, imperfect homeschooling is an incredibly beautiful thing because it's real life as we take an unhurried, bold approach to homeschooling our kids. An approach that says, I won't compare my homeschool to others. I'll teach the kids God has given me in the way that he leads me to do it. I want to encourage you to check out Homeschooling Today magazine. It is an amazing resource for the unhurried homeschooling mom. Okay, so before I get started, I just want to take a minute here because I think that maybe some of you could be feeling discouraged at this point in time, and maybe you're even wondering if you made the right decision to homeschool your kids. I want to say something to you. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And this calling on your life, it matters. It's not just another thing to do amongst all the other things you do. You are raising the next generation of parents, citizens, plumbers, electricians, computer programmers, doctors, pastors, IT people, friends, husbands, wives. And it's here in the day-to-day -day that you are preparing your kids for the kind of lives that they will live. And it's here in the midst of sibling relationships that your kids will learn more than you can imagine. So I'll be sharing from my own experience so some things that I'll mention will work for you and some will not. Um, I encourage you to listen to your mom instinct and be prayerful about even listening to the podcast and, and maybe reflecting on some of the things that were said and do what fits well for your family. So sometimes you tuck things in your hat and they work 
really well later on. So that's an option. Uh, sometimes you just got to try things on and see if they actually work. So I'm hoping you'll walk away with some great ideas, some huge encouragement um, from this series on nurturing sibling relationships. So a while back, um, I was sitting in the living room and our most of our kids were at our house uh, for dinner and we had finished up and, um, you know, most of my kids are grown and out of the house, but several of them were there and they were all standing around the computer and they were looking at our oldest daughter's Facebook page because she has had Facebook longer than anybody and she was really good about uh, keeping a lot of, uh, you know, just just memories and different things on there uh, from and with the kids. Um, So she has videos on there and all kinds of really fun things to look at um, because they are from so long ago. Anyway, they were all standing around uh, looking at this Facebook page, and I'm telling you, they were laughing so hard that tears were running down their faces. And I just sat back and thought, you know, I just love this. I love that they have all of these memories together. Um, there was just such joy in recounting the times that they spent together. You know, there there was fighting at our house. There was bickering, definitely. And I'll be talking about that in one of these, these episodes on nurturing sibling relationships. But all of it is what fed into uh, the way that our kids are bonded. Um, we were at a, a wedding. Um, one of our kids, was get, they were getting married in our backyard. And someone came up to us and said, you know, we've heard a lot of people mention just how much your kids enjoy being together, how unusual that is. And I just thought, again, what an investment we've made into these kids and into their relationships and nurturing their relationships. And I just recognized again the importance of that. Um, And then my husband and I were at a conference and uh, a a few of our kids uh, were at our house And they wanted to use our dining room because it was bigger than anyone else's dining room. And they were all eating dinner together. They had fixed fixed a meal and they were all sitting around the table eating and and they sent us a picture of this. And I showed it to my husband and I loved his response. He said, we were the glue that put them together, but we aren't the glue that keeps them together. I think that's just such a beautiful picture of what we want for our kids in their relationships as they grow into adults. You know, nurturing sibling relationships is really a unique opportunity to not only help our kids bond for life, but to prepare them for future relationships. But can I say that it often feels like a lot of work? not really an opportunity, right? But I love what Thomas Edison said. He said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. And in Matthew 12, 25, I love what, uh, this is in the New Living Translation. Um, You know, what we're shooting for is, is a household that that understands what healthy relationships look like. So we're working towards that because we don't want our household divided. Um, And Jesus said in the New Living Translation in Matthew 12, 25, he said, Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. 
Don't you just love that? And so that's what we that's what we're shooting for. This is a biblical principle. This isn't just, you know, an optional thing out there. We want our families to be united. And again, that's not going to be perfect. We know that. And it's not going to be a perfect journey for absolute sure. It is work and it takes time and intentionality. And that's part of the reason I wanted to talk about nurturing sibling relationships. I heard this quote a long time ago. I don't know who the author is, Clara Ortega. I don't know who she is, but I love the quote. To the outside world, we all grow old, but not to brothers and sisters. We know each other as we always were. We know each other's hearts. We share private family jokes. We remember family feuds and secrets, family griefs and joys. We live outside the touch of time. You know, maybe... Um, I don't know what kind of family you came from. Maybe your parents didn't nurture sibling relationships. Maybe you come from a broken home. Maybe the relationships with your siblings aren't healthy. And you're wondering today, how in the world can I nurture my kids' relationships and, and help them have better relationships than I have with my siblings? Um, that's what I'm hoping to help you with in this series. Um, maybe some of you did come from healthy families. We all came from different backgrounds. But again, our our children are unique and our families are unique. So there's going to be different ways that we need to do this. And again, when the, when the responsibility falls on our shoulders as parents and we're not actually the siblings anymore, it, it, it changes your perspective. And you do a lot of times have questions and wonder what this is supposed to look like. Um, because we know that sibling relationships are unique, right? We know that. They are also God-given. And so one thing that I want to share with you really quickly before we move on, because this can be a source of fear and guilt, and that is I want you to remember that God is sovereign over how your family is weaved together and and over the birth order of your children. I know uh, parents sometimes feel, moms especially feel guilty because, gosh, I didn't mean to have the kids all close together. Some of these kids I didn't plan on. And then when things get difficult and there's a middle child who's struggling, we think, oh my goodness, if only there had been more space. Um, but I want you to really embrace the fact that no matter what order your family is in, adopted, biological, stepchildren, God has ordained your family as it sits right now. And God is going to use the position that each of your children are in. He wants to use that to prepare them for the future. So don't spend time in regret. Don't spend time feeling guilty. And don't spend time in fear. We don't want to work from a place of guilt or fear because nothing good is going to come of that. So I just want you to rem remember that so that you can move forward in nurturing the sibling relationships in your home from a place of trust. And so let's talk first of all about why nurturing sibling relationships is important. Well, I believe that it's important to nurture sibling relationships not only because we want our kids to have lifelong friendships with each other, but also because specifically the people skills and communication skills that our kids acquire in childhood are foundational for future relationships. We want our kids to learn that even though relationships can be a lot of work, they are worthwhile 
and they are a long-term investment. Through sibling relationships, we can prepare our kids for friendships, marriages, and parenting. We can prepare them for relationships in the workplace with their coworkers and with their boss. We can teach them what it looks like to be the body of Christ to each other. You know, honestly, um, I feel like most people in the body of Christ, at least in our culture, don't really understand what it looks like to have healthy relationships with each other because they didn't have healthy relationships at home. And so I think we're not only helping our kids with their marriages and their parenting and their friendships and their work relationships, but we are building the body of Christ by building our kids' relationships with one another. Because when our kids walk out of our home, they're going to understand what does it look like to have a healthy relationship. They'll have confidence to be able to resolve conflict because they practice that at home. And that's going to be one of the episodes that I'm sharing, ways to nurture sibling relationships through conflict. And so There's a whole big picture that we're working on when we're working on sibling relationships. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18, God describes what it looks like to be the body of Christ to each other. And what I find interesting is that this passage and many others in the New Testament are just as applicable to family life. So if you're wondering, like, how should our family function? What things are okay and what are not okay? Go to the New Testament and and read the passages that talk about um, how the church is to treat each other, because that'll give you a huge insight into how to direct your children in nurturing their relationships. So I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18, because it's such a great example. So I want you to think about it in terms of the church, but I also want you to think about it in terms of, you know, obviously, um, I want you to think about it in terms of your kids' relationships with each other and what the relationships look like within the home. Now, again, Some of these things can't really be worked on deeply until the kids get older, but you can start with very simple things at a very early age. So listen in. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, to encourage those who are timid, to take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if we go back into that passage, I look at the beginning where it talks about honoring those who are leaders in the Lord's work. I I see this as, okay, the parents are doing the Lord's work by parenting the children, and it's saying they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. This is a call to live peacefully with one another and to respect and to honor 
the parents and living peacefully with one another is a way to do that. And the scripture is very clear, and I've talked about this in other podcasts on discipline, that a child's job is to, their main job is to honor and obey their parents. That is how the Lord directs them as they are growing up. So this passage goes on and says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid. Okay, so stop and listen to that. So when one sibling is being lazy, the other one can hopefully learn over time to go to them and say, look, this isn't good for you. Laziness is not a good thing and you're going to get into trouble. Um, so, you know, I just want to encourage you to get up and get working, you know, um, it talks about encouraging those who are timid. You know, maybe you have a child who's extra shy and a child, you can teach your other children to come alongside them and encourage them to be more bold, to be more courageous, to help them. So it's an encouragement thing. They're not mocking them. They're not making fun of them. They're not embarrassed by them. Um, then it goes on to say, take tender care of those who are weak. You know, our younger siblings, I would talk to my kids about, you know, they are weaker than you. They need you to be strong for them. They need you to protect them if they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. So all of a sudden, the motivation for what they're doing and how they're relating to their siblings is one of love. Um, love is the motivating factor. And then it goes on to be patient with, it says, say to be, it says to be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and all people. So, you know, we're not, we're not in this um, competition of getting each other back this, you know, we, we just, we want to discourage that. So you can see just in this passage, there's so, it's so rich with um, attitudes and um, perspectives that we want to teach our children. And again, this is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's also a great reminder for us. Um, the other thing I want to just mention real quickly is this last, this last, these last couple verses, specifically verse 16, just says, always be joyful. So one of the things that I used to always do is when one of our kids had a, um, you know, just a yucky attitude, I would say to them, hey, listen, you need to straighten up your attitude. Okay. You need to you know, when they were very young, I would say, you know, you need to be happy because that's, that's, you know, I needed to use terms that they understood. But essentially, I would not allow our children to have a really bad attitude around everyone else for very long. So if they couldn't pull it together, I would basically say, you need to go sit on your bed until you can have a better attitude. Um, because I told them your attitude, anybody's attitude, positive or negative, is going to affect the people around them. And that's a lesson we want our kids to learn. And I'll be talking about this a little bit later, but we want them to take responsibility for their actions. So when they've got a cruddy attitude, they need to understand fully that that affects the people around them. And so I would just tell my kids, listen, it's like poison and I'm not going to allow you to poison the rest of the family. So you're going to go need to be alone um, and, you know, just pray about this and, you know, I'll come in there if you need me to pray with you or whatever. You get the idea. But that's, you know, that would be an application for, you know, that, that this, this, um, you know, this, this verse here that says, always be joyful. Now, obviously, we're not always going to be joyful. There are going to be times we have to work through conflict. Sometimes things are yucky. But, you know, what we're shooting for is joy in our home, and our children need to participate in that as well. But overall, in this passage, if you were just going to, like, look at it, um, kind of step back and have a bird's eye view of it, 
there's really two main principles in this in this passage, and it's to have a heart of love towards each other. So you're ha- they're having the other person's best interest in mind, so they're being other-oriented. This is what we want to move our children towards, is being other-oriented. And the other principle is to spur one another on to love and good works. So we want any kind of I don't I don't know if reprimand's a good word, but if a, one child is going to reprimand the other, we want the we want love to be the motivator and we want how it's done to actually motivate the other person toward love and good works. So often I would hear one of my kids trying that and not being very good at it. And I would ask them, is this going to encourage the other person to do the right thing or is it going to provoke them to the wrong to do the wrong thing? Because sometimes their efforts to reprimand them or to warn them, like it says here in the passage, you know, warn those who are lazy and things like that, um, is actually the way they're doing it is provoking them. And so we get to teach them what that looks like. And sometimes it's based on the other person's personality. And so they have to keep in mind, okay, who is this person I'm talking to? And this is something, again, they learn eventually over time. Oh, yes, I can't say it that way to that person because that would be provoking to him. Um, But if I say it this way, and so we want, you know, we want to move our children towards that. None of this is going to happen perfectly. We're not shooting for perfection. We're shooting for progress. And so I find it interesting that the word spur, so where it says to spur one another on to love and good works, um, that word spur also means incite and irritate. So we can have that inciting and that irritating going on, which is what we don't want. We want it to be an encouragement to the other person, and we want it to send them the right direction. Um, I'll give you an example, a, a great story that I uh, love to tell. One of our sons was, um, I just, how do I explain this? Okay, so I'll start from the beginning. He, I, I noticed at one point that there were a lot of little, like, little fights going on. You know how you just kind of hear it in the back of your mind, you're folding laundry or whatever, and you can just kind of hear this little spat and this little spat, and it's just like, it's constant. Like, what is going on here? I realized when I just prayed about it, I was like, okay, Lord, what is happening here? And I just sit back, take a pause, like I always encourage everyone to do, just listen. And I realized at that point that there was one common denominator amongst all of these little kerfuffles, if you want to call call them that. And it was one of our boys. And I thought, hmm, okay. So I pulled him aside and I said, listen, I'm noticing this is what's going on. You need to stop doing that. You're provoking people and it needs to stop. And so this went on. I warned him several times, probably too many times, clearly, because I got so frustrated that I I finally pulled my husband aside one day and I said, listen, I don't know what to do. This kid is driving me crazy. In fact, I think I said, how do you feel about seven kids instead of eight? I was just, oh, I was just so done. And so uh, he's like, okay, all right, let's dial this thing back. Let's figure it out. He's like, I told him what was going on. I said, this is what's happening. I've given him tons of warnings and it's just not working. He said, I've got a great idea. And I was like, awesome. He said, okay, get all the kids together and sit them all on the couch. So all eight kids, bam, 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 okay, on the couch. 
I'm thinking this is going to be great. My husband says, okay, so I understand that so-and-so is really doing a lot of provoking. And the kids are like, yeah, he's driving us nuts, dad. And my husband said, okay. So the child who was doing the provoking just sort of was looking rather pale, wondering what was going on here. And my husband said, okay, so here's how this is going to go. For the next week, if he truly provokes you, you have my permission to sock him in the arm. I was like, what? I didn't say anything because I didn't want to undermine what he was saying, but I'm thinking to myself, is that really a good idea? I thought he had this great plan, and I'm thinking, this was your great plan? I, I, I don't know about this, but you know what? I didn't have any other ideas. I couldn't come up with anything else, and I thought, you know what? He's the head of our house. He knows boys better than I do, and I thought, okay, we'll just, we'll just go with this. Well, you should have seen the look on that kid's face. He looked like, oh, crud, I am in trouble. Now, you guys, seriously, I think he may have gotten socked in the arm once. And we had warned the other kids, listen, if you sock him and he didn't actually provoke you, you're going to be in trouble. There will be consequences for that. So they knew they needed to watch themselves. But seriously, there was not one more incident after that for quite a while because he got it. He understood, our son understood, there was going to be consequences. And that's very interesting because, you know, sometimes when you have that kid that is doing that, you think, maybe there's, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm not giving him everything he needs. Maybe I'm not giving him the right tools to be able to obey. Oh, no, 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 no. That was not the problem. And in fact, I even thought maybe he, he didn't actually have the self-control. Oh, I learned real quickly he did actually have the self-control. That was the number one thing that I learned. And the second thing I learned, my husband's idea wasn't such a lame idea after all. This was an opportunity. This is real life. And we figured, and my husband said this, it was better for him to learn this in a controlled environment because although they were irritated with him, his siblings truly did love him and wanted what was best for him overall. So this was a great way for him to learn it, uh, what he needed to learn in a controlled environment. And what he learned was that uh, he learned what would likely happen if he chooses to provoke others. And my husband pointed this out. Listen, if you were in public school and you did what you've been doing to your siblings, you would have been beat up, like, and you would have deserved it. <laughs> so, but our son, you know, he really took that lesson in, and he still had to have many more reminders over the years, but he never forgot that. And you know what? Can I just, just a little side note? This kid is such a wonderful, wonderful adult. Um, there were times that I thought, I don't know if he's going to make it to adulthood, because one of us might take him out. But you know what? We didn't, praise God. And he is a wonderful, wonderful kid, a wonderful adult. He's married. He's incredibly responsible. He's um, he's working as a an apprentice uh, plumber. He's like in his third year. He's going to work towards getting his um, plumber's license. He is a great employee. He gets nothing but raving reviews from his bosses. His uh, fellow employees love him. So I'm telling you, moms, this is a worth while investment because the lessons and what healthy relationships look like, they aren't all learned overnight, but they start in childhood between siblings. Now, I want to share one more story before I wrap up this episode. Um, 
our son, Ben, was, I think he was born smiling. Just the happiest person on the planet, and he's still that way to this day. But he struggled with the opposite, learning to set healthy boundaries. He would let himself get provoked to the point of anger. So he had like a really long fuse, but when he blew, it was not good and he felt horrible. So we really needed to take time to help him know better, sooner, when somebody was stepping over the line, when he felt like a line had been crossed and how to address that. And you guys, this is the beauty of homeschooling. You know, the schoolwork is important, but learning to have healthy relationships is an important, integral part of our kids' education. So don't think of it as something separate from the books. Think of it as part and parcel to their education because we want our kids to have a whole life education. We want to prepare them for life. And again, this happens little by little over the years. And in the uh, coming episodes. Um, the next episode, I'm going to be talking about um, how to nurture re- sibling relationships. And then the next one, I'm going to be talking about um, ways to nurture sibling relationships through conflict. So here's the deal, mom. We want to equip our kids for real life. And by doing so, we give them a huge advantage in multiple areas. Again, this doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey but it starts in childhood between siblings. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these children that you've given us. Thank you for your grace and mercy that you've poured out on us to allow us to be able to homeschool. But Lord, also this opportunity to nurture sibling relationships, help us not to miss that opportunity. Help us not to lay it down on the altar of the bookwork. Lord, the bookwork has its place, but Lord, healthy relationships. If my kids don't know algebra, but they know how to have healthy relationships, I'm good with that. Lord, we know how important and how rare healthy relationships are. So Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us discernment, and that you would pour out your grace and mercy and your wisdom on us as we learn to nurture sibling relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.